0: Hi, welcome back to Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Kerman. This week, we have uh, joining us again, John Bennett and Michael Zeldin. Uh, my, uh, Michael, of course, former federal prosecutor, and John, the editor, one of the editors at CQ Roll Call, talking about this week's uh, actions and reactions in Washington, D.C., and how the press covered it, and the big stories of the week. It's uh, Just Ask the Question, and of course, today, it's well, you're just asking the press. So stick around, and we'll be right back. Hi, welcome back. It's Just Asked the Question. I am your host, uh, Brian Carriman Again, today with us, uh, John Bennett from CQ Roll Call and Michael Zeldin, former federal prosecutor, to talk about this week's actions in, uh, among other things, the January 6th Commission. And, Michael, I'll, I'll start with you. After all that's gone, that we've gone through in seven different hearings, um, do you think that the... the uh, that the January 6th commission has laid out a case uh, to pursue Donald Trump on. And if they have, what do you think it is?
2: Well, if there is a case to be made, of course, either the justice department or the state of Georgia or, or both. And it seems to me so far, the most viable case would be one of at the federal level, conspiracy to obstruct the orderly transition of government. They call it um, obstruction of a congressional proceeding or conspiracy to defraud the United States. It seems to me that were I sitting in Merrick Garland, the attorney general's chair, the planning that Trump undertook and then the actions in respect to that planning, with respect to the pressuring of state officials, and the false electors scheme, and the conspiracy to pressure uh, Pence and replace the Attorney General, all seem to be sufficiently predicated for this conspiracy to defraud the United States, obstruct an official proceeding. As to whether he conducted himself in a way that violates the sedition or the incitement statutes, I don't think they're, they're there. The, 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 the incitement statute, for example, says because of the First Amendment protections involved in it is that the speech needs to be directed to inciting or producing imminent action, and it's likely to do so. And I just don't think that they've gotten to that um, point yet. Now, I have to say, I don't like sedition statutes. I don't like incitement statutes. Their, their use historically has been against uh, World War I draft protesters. Eugene right. James went to jail for six years for speaking ag- out against World War One's draft. That's where the clear and present danger um, yep. doctrine came up. They said his speaking out against the draft was a clear and present danger. I don't like the way it was used in the 1948-ish period. With um, That was Justice Brandeis, right? Well, was in,
0: in that decision? Holmes. Oh, Holmes, okay.
2: I, Brand, I don't remember if Brandeis... Uh, I'm
0: sorry, I'm, I'm remembering it. I wrote i wrote something on that one, so I, I interrupted. Go ahead. Ignore me. No.
2: Then it was used again in 1948 against uh, Wallace and the Progressive Party when he was running against Truman. And then, of course, it was used in the late and mid-1960s against civil rights workers. So, you know, as a person who considered himself a progressive... Really? I find this statute to be very politically objectionable. So I don't want to just jump into saying, oh, yeah, because I may not like Donald Trump, we should start using sedition and incitement statutes. So that's a long way of saying, I think, probably as to the former and not yet as to the latter.
0: And, uh, John, you wrote something this week about it that um, you said that you don't think that there is a clear link between Donald Trump and the proud boys or the, uh, or the,
1: oath keepers.
0: What, do, what do you think is the importance of that?
1: Well, I think the dots have to connect to Trump for the committee to be successful either in, um, you know, sending over a persuadable, uh, or a very, um, very strong criminal recommendation for Trump, whatever the charge might be, or if their goal, and this is clearly one of their goals, uh, the vice chairwoman, Liz Cheney, the Republican from Wyoming, has all but said um, their 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 big goal here is to politically disqualify Trump. And to do that, that means, you know, um, independence and just enough Republican voters uh, decide that, OK, this guy uh, it just isn't fit to be president again. And, but to do that, the dots still have to connect directly to Trump. I don't think it's enough for them to go through Rudy Giuliani or, or John Eastman, um, Sidney Powell, you know, that, that group of people. She ruined
0: Diet Dr. Pepper for me. I'm going to say that,
1: but there there was lots of (laughs) sipping of Diet Dr. Pepper for sure during her deposition. Um, so I, I just think it has to connect to Trump. They have to show that Trump knew about the talk of violence and, and knew that it was likely, um, You know, showing showing a call log that that Steve Bannon got through to the Oval Office twice on January 5th and then went on his podcast and said, you know, all hell was going to break loose. Um, That's one thing. But I just it just doesn't feel like they have it yet. And I think to do either one of those things and I think the committee, uh, the committee's number one goal uh, is to to try to politically disqualify Trump. And again, as I said in, in my column, the dots have to connect straight to Trump. And, and they just don't do that right now. And my second point was, you know, um, this is at least going to be the last hearing. I th- It seems like for a little while. Um, right. Uh, they, they need to show us Thursday night. They they, they mm-hmm. have that evidence and they've implied that they have some of that. And I just think it's it's time to show it. Uh,
0: uh, that, and you bring up two things that uh, maybe, Michael, you can give me a, a, a your take on. And one is the 14th using the 14th Amendment to make sure that Donald Trump can't run again. I don't think there's enough evidence there to do that, but is and and clearly that Liz Cheney had pointed in that direction. But Michael, do you think they could do that?
2: Well, this is what we started with. In order for him to be legally disqualified, I think he has to be convicted of treason or or sedition, Um, and I don't think I, I agree with John that I don't think that they have that legally that case is there. That case is theoretically makeable. The problem is that the people who can make it for the government most easily are Mark Meadows, Roger Stone, and um, Steve Bannon. And And they'll never do that. Getting Mm -hmm. the truth out of any of those three may be more than even a grand jury subpoena to them can, can accomplish. But I expect that we'll see some testimony from Cipollone that implies... That Meadows, in follow-up of Cassidy Hutchinson's testimony, that Meadows was in touch with the War Room, so-called, at the Willard Hotel, where Bannon and the Proud Boys and Roger Stone was. So he might take us a little bit closer, um, but I don't know yet which witness, besides Stone or one of the Proud Boys or um, Meadows or Bannon, can get us get us that solid dotted that solid line
0: where right.
2: we now only have dots. I,
0: I wouldn't doubt that it would be Rudy Giuliani because he's acted so damn stupid. <laughs> the six-hour argument that went across the the, uh, the oval and upstairs and downstairs. And and I remember, I do remember that day as well, um, that six-hour argument where Giuliani said, if you didn't want to back the president, you were a pussy. I, I, I would almost, he would almost spill it almost as a matter of pride. Of course
2: we said that. But but, Brian, to that point, that, again, relates to what I said at first. That relates to election fraud, conspiracy to fraud the United States, um, conspiracy to um, interfere with uh, congressional proceeding. I think that's a much stronger case. Um, I think Giuliani and those guys really have made that case in some sense.
0: Um, Yeah, they
2: have. I I agree with you. You think that. That brings
0: me to three points. A: Do you think Merrick Garland is will pursue? There are people who doubt that there will be charges come out of this. Um, uh, and I talked with after last Tuesday's meeting. I made my phone rounds, and there are I, I got in touch with maybe forty or fifty, uh, you know, federal lawmakers, and about thirty-two of them got back to me and said they think there will be charges, but there are a lot of people who think Merrick Garland doesn't have the stones to do it. Do you think he would
2: pursue charges if he has it? I think if he has the facts, and the evidence, I don't believe politics is going to preclude him from bringing uh, the charges. I think that Merrick Garland is a a person who recognizes, essentially, to go back to that phrase, the clear and present danger that a second Trump presidency uh, (laughs) presents. The first one didn't do us any favors either. So I don't think he's going to make a a political calculation. I think he's going to make... A legal calculation. Um, but as I said, unless there's sedition or treason, that doesn't bar Trump from running. It just may, to John's point, be enough to pull away enough independents and uh, Republicans that he doesn't get reelected.
0: What about what Liz Cheney said at the end? Uh, you know, that kind of shot across the bow that they wouldn't take any further tampering of witnesses. Does that, is that, uh... I don't know. Is that presage charges? Is that, is that a warning? Is that a, is that a, implying that there will be
2: charges? How do you, how do you read that?
0: Michael, I'll start with um,
2: you. Sorry. Well, of course, we always have to remember that the Congress is not the body that brings charges. The justice department brings charges. So Liz Cheney can think all she wants about whether something is criminal or not criminal, uh, but it doesn't mean anything in, in only Merrick Garland makes that final decision. But I think that, the as we said before, you segregate what crimes might have been proved and proving witness tampering by telephoning a witness and saying, you know, essentially, remember that Trump reads transcripts or you remember you know, oh. <laughs> who brought you to the party. If you, all right. those sort of things could well could well sorry we lost the connection for a second all of those things could bring rise to a witness tampering charge in my view
0: yeah Uh, john what did you think when you saw liz at the end that was kind of like a a, you know like stay tuned for this next important commercial message what did you think when you heard her say that
1: I mean, I thought it was a, a just another one of these, just where are we? Like what universe have we landed in that, you know, Liz Cheney's warning a former president of the United States to not tamper with witnesses. Um, <laughs> but, I, and, but then, you know, the next thought is always, well, this guy, you know, he doesn't really shock me anymore. He can surprise me. Uh, I was talking with uh, Senator Ben Cardin uh, on the Hill this week, and and he has a similar – a view of the wit. I asked him about the witness tampering and what he thought and and he said this the kind of the same thing michael has and 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 that um that it that there would need to be more evidence than one phone call. He could have been he you know he trump could could say he was calling to to wish the guy a happy birthday. Um, we don't know because the, <laughs> the 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 individual did not take the call, but one thing I wanted to say about charging trump is and and really even politically disqualifying him if you guys remember the 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 nfl hall of fame wide receiver chris carter was speaking to the rookie symposium a few years ago and he told them you know you guys are going to screw up you're going to make mistakes and when you do make sure within your crew of friends and hangers on that you have a fall guy uh this eventually was part of the reason that carter is no longer a television analyst (laughs) Um, but trump trump has embodied this his entire professional career he's always surrounded himself with fall guys and it's the fall guys who seem to have been talking to the proud boys and the oath keepers and and the planners of all this and the planners of the rallies so he's always been smart enough to have those fall guys and fall women in between him and and let's say where the action really is and you know he's he's always he's always done this
0: well that's you know michael cohen back to that michael cohen his former fixer said you know hey, uh, he, he runs it like a mob boss. And that is the way the mob runs it. You know, I if you've ever seen Goodfellas, you know, right. <clears throat> Paulie talked to maybe three people. He didn't want anybody to hear what he had to say and he didn't want anybody to hear that's what true. he was being told. And that seems to be the Donald's way of operating. <clears throat> the question is, is, can you apply the same standards <laughs> to Donald Trump, if you're going to prosecute him, that you would uh, apply to a mob boss if you were prosecuting him? And, Yeah, I guess that's And to your point, uh, Michael, I guess that's where we we fall down. Is there enough evidence? uh, There there may be enough evidence for some things to charge Donald with, but not enough for others. And at the end of the day, we may fall short of being able to uh, invoke the 14th Amendment because I don't think there's going to be enough evidence there to, to show that unless one of his guys on the inside flips. And I think we have to have see those people arrested. I mean, you're going to have to see more than Jeffrey Clark being dragged out of his house and thrown in his undies on his front yard. You're going to have to actually see indictments of uh, pasty-faced doughboy, And you're going to have to see indictments of Giuliani and, and and all these other people before you get to Donald Trump. Yes?
2: Well, it depends. You can have a conspiracy that includes all of those people. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Again, I don't know who I don't know what there is to know, and I don't know who knows what there is to know. What I've seen from the evidence so far, it looks like there were batches of people who were dealing with the election and the effort to stop the counting of the election and thereby stop the uh, transfer of power. Then there there were other people who were focused on the... Proud Boys and the insurrection and the uh, it will be wild part. And I don't know where those two groups of people overlap. So I don't know, even if you indicted a, a Giuliani or, or a Jeffrey Clark uh, from the Justice Department, they would actually know what was going on. They might. Well, I think it would be interesting to see this I
0: week be the what they
2: do. In I Coming back to uh, in the war room and talking with uh, President Trump, or Stone and Meadows and Bannon, and that Cipollini, Cipolloni, rather, Cipolloni yeah. may actually have uh, knowledge of that too.
0: Well, that will be, like I said, that's going to be interesting. You see, they're promising a bang up show this Thursday as they wrap up the series. They're limited documentary series on donald trump but there was the one thing and i know it stood out in my mind and 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 john i know you were watching it as well and, and michael that when <clears throat> when it was liz cheney who said listen donald trump wasn't an impressionable youth he's a 76 year old grown man responsible for his own actions and he's not going to be able to plead willful ignorance so again, knowing that it's Congress and they don't have the power to charge, they only have the power to turn it over to the DOJ, do you think she, that's wishful thinking on her part? Or do you think that she knows something that the DOJ is doing and she's tipping us off? Because there are those who think that, you know they question whether or not Merrick Garland even has a case being investigated right now. And But I'll go back to the fact that they did Sees Eastman's uh, phone messages, and they did Perfect. throw Jeffrey Clark out of his house and search him. So that does tell you that there is a grand jury impaneled somewhere. So I, I think the idea of, of, of saying, well, we don't even know if Merrick Garland is investigating it. That's a, that's a ridiculous point, right now. But John, what did you think when you saw Cheney? Did do you think that she had some advanced knowledge of what's going on, or or it's wishful thinking on her part?
1: I think it's posturing. I think they're. I sense that there's some disagreement inside the committee on what they should do whenever they wrap up their work, um, and and Cheney is clearly in the camp of criminal referral, and I don't think that's going to change. You know, if they have this hearing and then, um, you know, c- continue their investigation for another two months, and I think folks like Benny Thompson, the chairman, um, he's he's more skeptical about a criminal referral. You know, he his comments are that's not what our our charter is. That's not what we're here to do. So um, that's how I read that comment by Cheney, and I would expect her to keep that posturing up.
0: And but we we don't need a criminal referral, do we, Michael?
2: No, absolutely yeah. not. You know, the the if you look at Watergate, uh, you know, as a template, the Justice Department and the U.S. Attorney's Office were pursuing investigations of the burglars and those in the in the broader conspiracy. And they didn't need Sam Irvin to tell them to do that, and they didn't need Sam Irvin to refer who who was the you know the leading Watergate congressional investigator. They didn't need um, Senator Irvin to tell them what cases they should consider. I think that Liz Cheney and and the committee generally are not speaking to the Justice Department. I think they're speaking to the American people, and I think they're saying to America, "Look, you're gonna hear." From this guy that he didn't know. But only the the only creature on earth that wouldn't know, given all that we presented so far, is an ostrich. (laughs) Don't don't let him tell you he was an ostrich. He was willfully that he was that he, he just didn't know because he knew constructively and he knew act actually. And this notion of willful blindness as a defense, like I just didn't know, you know, it's reminiscent of the the three monkeys of hearing and speaking and seeing no evil. Yeah, you cannot do that um, legally and avoid criminal liability. So I think she was saying to America, you're going to hear this. I didn't know, but it's nonsense. He knew and uh, he knew actually and, and and concepts of willful blindness apply should he start making that public um, remember, what she said is, at first he said this, and now what we're hearing is that. And let me tell you, he's a grown man. He knew what was going on. And willful blindness is not a defense.
0: Before we get to what's next in our in our first break here, two other last points. One on the Secret Service. Uh, were, were you surprised that they, and John, you, you covered the White House with me. Were you surprised when you heard that the Secret Service, uh, well, may have well did erase some um, text messages and and of course uh what um cassidy hutchinson said was then later confirmed by a dc police officer were you can were you, were you surprised that secret service erased some of that stuff
1: no my first thought was <laughs> of course they did yeah. uh, this is not the this is not the first time that agency uh has been involved shall we say in in something like this yeah uh, they destroyed records um i believe it was uh it was Watergate. Uh, they've done this before, a couple days after investigators asked them for records. At that time, those were paper records. Uh, this is the digital version of... Uh, and, and recoverable, by the way. That's... So, that's, so you eventually... Think, yeah, you I think... think they're out there somewhere, right? Yeah, right.
0: They will be recovered. And so, Michael, is that a crime?
2: Well, if you if something is requested from a federal prosecutor or Congress, and with that knowledge, you purposefully destroy it, that's called destruction of evidence, and that can be a crime. I don't know that we're there, um, but the, the implication is from Congress by the issuance of the subpoena is they don't trust the Secret Service, as John says, with good reason historically and um, if they, I think, can establish that this was willful destruction of derogatory information, I think that will be something that the Justice Department will look at. You'll, you'll know in some sense whether this was accidental and um, benign or purposeful and, and, and malicious when, if we are lucky, we get to see the texts themselves. The texts are incriminatory. And, you know, the notion of I, I, the dog ate the homework is a little bit less um, compelling.
0: Yeah, the dog ate the homework that I didn't do. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that will be interesting to see. I, it, and that also brings me to, to um, you know, you don't have to go back that far. I mean, during uh, Trump's years in the White House, there are plenty of problems with the Secret Service, including letting people into the office that maybe shouldn't have gotten in. I mean, up to and including Sydney Powell <laughs> getting a free pass, and and people going, well, "How the hell did she get in there?" And the Secret Service going, "I don't know." Well, you nobody know, gets past the Secret Service. They had to have known something. But well, I uh, think
2: that, can I just add one thing? And John, you yeah. can correct me. Um, what well, isn't it the case that uh, one of Trump's um, senior advisors was a Secret Service agent and he still yes. wore two hats. He still retained his status as a Secret Service agent. And yeah. he had essentially a political appointment in the White House. That in and of itself is enough to raise eyebrows. And when you ask the Secret yeah. Service thereafter, tell us whether uh, my boss did anything wrong, you know?
1: <laughs> right. Yeah, that was yeah. Mr. Uh, Orinato, who's the one who Cassidy yeah. Hudson alleges, told her about what happened in the presidential SUV after the stop to steal rally on January 6th. So, yeah, that's a really uh, a highly unusual move uh, to put up, you know, a, a sitting agent. He didn't even leave the agency. You know, he, he stayed on. And like you said, he wore two hats. Um, and and once you cross over like that, you know, your allegiance, I guess he could claim it. half his allegiance went to the Secret Service. But, you know, at that point, you work for the president and that's, that's pretty incredible stuff.
0: Well, yeah. And, and are you going to take a bullet for the president? Question Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I questioned everything about uh, anyone who wears two hats in that white house or any white house. And I, I don't know if you remember, but when we asked questions mm-hmm. about him, uh, we were often stonewalled on any answer from the white house regarding his status as a, Secret Service agent or as a member of the staff. In fact, we were lied to about that from the very beginning. And it was only after I believe that was the Times of the Post broke the story definitively that that then they admitted that yes, he was wearing two hats. Yeah. But that,
1: that was a position that got Trump in that position got Trump in trouble early on. He had yeah. uh, he had Robert Schiller. Robert Schiller was his yeah. longtime private bodyguard, brought him into the White House in that same um in that same position. And let's just say Mr. Schiller was not really cut out for that. He didn't. Have <laughs> the discipline, the tact, the decorum required for it. Uh, he and I had. stuff up Once upon a time. <laughs> and uh,
2: Trump, Trump had to,
1: had to send him back to the private sector. So they never got that position. Right.
0: No, Michael, you had something you were going to add.
2: Well, I was going to say, and, and again, John, uh, fill me in on the facts, but the, there's an, another aspect of the controversy around the civil, uh, about the secret service is with the Department of Homeland Security and the Inspector General of that agency and questions about whether Homeland Security and Secret Service has been um, you know, lack of lacking in sort of cooperative spirit over a, a longer period of time than just this. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, yeah. No doubt. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. I mean, they, they well said, documented.
1: Yeah. The, the Secret Service put out a statement after the Hutchinson testimony and said they would, restate. they didn't, you know, we got this, Brian, you like to ask what something the media got wrong. Well, we, we continue to get this wrong. The Secret Service didn't didn't say explicitly, we're going to provide someone to testify to respond to Hutchinson's allegations. They said, we will respond on the record to the committee. Yes. And you can do that in a number of ways. Now, you can do that in a number of ways, and they've done it in, in this many ways, zero.
0: Yeah, and that if you read that statement it doesn't say in any stretch of the image by any stretch of the imagination that they're going to refute it directly they're Correct. just going to respond right. directly right. which right. is a um, it's a huge loophole and reporters continually miss it by by saying that they're going to respond that oh well they're refuting it no they never said that read what they said but we go over we gloss over that all the time Right. And, and everything that we covered with Trump, we did it, and we're
2: doing it with this administration as well. Um, um, but I guess the Brian, the question I was trying to ask inartfully was, isn't there, was hasn't there been a problem with the Inspector General of DHS, Department of Homeland Security, that uh, into which Secret Service somehow rolls up, and that historically they are at the lowest number of uh, internal investigations in the history of the DHS inspector general's office, which is another thing which speaks to sort of a, a lack of seriousness of, of, of purpose in policing themselves. Well, Michael, I'd go
0: further than that and say there's a problem in the inspector general's office of DHS and the Department of Justice. But yes, to your point, yeah, there has been. And uh, there have been considerable questions that have been asked and unanswered regarding the uh, office of inspector general in the DHS. Uh, John? Yeah,
1: absolutely. Uh, this, you know, this goes back beyond Trump. Um, there's there have been issues with the, the VHS IG office since that behemoth was created after 9-11. Um, and, you know, I I believe you, you until recently that had some still some Trump appointees in there. And, um, uh, you know, that that proves problematic uh, more often than it doesn't.
0: Yeah. Before we get to what's next, the last little bit that we'll talk about is Fulton County. Uh, and I think it was uh, uh, Michael, you noticed that it appears that Georgia GOP official received a target letter from the DA and that indicates an indictment is imminent. Yes. Is that where do you think that's going?
2: Well, what my understanding of what is going on there is that the, I think it's the head of the. Georgia or the Fulton County um, Republican Party received a target letter. Um, and the target letter basically says, you're going to be indicted unless you can, you know, at, at the 11th hour, talk us out of it. <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't seen the, the target there. letter, and I think that's what they said on the reporting of it. And so if it's, um, that means that the Fulton County District Attorney, District Attorney believes that this individual, who I think held a rank in the in the Georgia GOP, um, uh, possibly committed a crime. Um, and it would make sense sort of implicitly that that crime involves uh, the fake electors scheme because that's where there's a, a nexus between this individual and what the Fulton County DA oh. is investigating. So um, speculating a bit, but that's the I think it's not an unreasonable inference to draw that. And then they'll flip him
0: i <laughs> will indict him and flip him, I'll bet you, if, if I were a betting man. <laughs> if he has something to say. Yeah, if he has something worth flipping. Um, let's go to uh, what's next in the hearings. Uh, first of all, let's start with, uh, and John, I'll ask this of you, what do we need to do in the press to cover this better? Thursday night, this will be prime time, Yes. And it's, it's going to be fun. the last one. It's uh, episode eight in this limited series that's running, uh, of which Donald Trump is the uh, star. And probably, as I said, he's probably in some ways very happy that he's on center stage. He's a hit. But uh, what do we need to do better? And what do you, let's start with, what do you think we need to do better going into this episode? And what do you think, the second question is, what do you think will be covered?
1: Well, I, I think one thing and and I now feel like I'm beating a dead horse I, I think we have to um, focus our reporting on are these lines being drawn directly to Trump and and what might that mean or um, I would like to see more reporting on uh, as, as you and I have written um, the lack of, of direct lines and and what that would mean um, you know it's uh, we've certainly done it I've done it myself uh with these hearings, you know, you you throw out your five takeaways and then, you know, you get up the next day and something else has happened and and, and you kind of move on. But I think we could you know, we could be a little more focused on that because, I mean, that is uh, to quote comedian Dave Chappelle. That's the whole shebangabang here, right? It's Trump and his legal future and his political future. So I think we should focus more on that. What I expect Thursday night is uh, the committee to focus very hard on what Donald Trump was doing. Once the riot broke out and once his supporters uh, went into the Capitol, you know, they were on television fighting with Capitol Police and, and Metro PD. And Donald Trump, as Adam Kinzinger, a panel member from a retiring Republican from Indiana, said this morning on uh, on one of the Sunday shows, uh, he said Donald Trump did nothing. He said that's what we have found in, in our investigation. Trump did not lift a finger to try to stop it. And then when he clearly, half-heartedly uh, filmed a video that the White House finally put out on social media. He told the writers that he loved them. So they're going to focus on that and then try to tie it tie it back to what they've already uh, what they've already showed us and the relevance of of how that connects and what it means. I think Michael's far more qualified than than I.
0: Yeah, and Michael, that'll that's a great great toss, great segue.
2: <laughs> so, so a couple of things. First, to to the article that John wrote that we talked about of the disqualification of Trump from running for office, and we've talked about how legally it's sort of treason and sedition, otherwise it's in the hands of the voters, and that the committee is really speaking to those voters to say this guy does not deserve to be um, elected to anything ever again. I think that, and I agree with all of that uh, that John wrote, I think that He's is also correct to say that what we're going to get in um, this last hearing, maybe it's the last hearing, the 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 last one scheduled so far, is that Trump did not not that he just did nothing, but he in fact was thrilled with what he was seeing. He was sort of cheerleading them, and so that goes to John's point of that becomes disqualifying as a as a reelect. Um, matter, that you can't, as the president of the United States, watch the Capitol be ransacked and and people being uh, brutalized and and be cheering it on and then say, I want to be the chief executive, the chief law enforcement officer um, of the United States again. I think that's where they're headed on that disqualification uh, point. But another legal aspect of what will be driven home to, uh, if you will, the Attorney General, and and he says he is, is what Trump was not doing is a reflection of his state of mind. And so remember, Liz Cheney said he cannot be an ostrich. He cannot be willfully blind. He is a, a grown man who has made decisions based on facts presented to him that, in this case, when he does nothing, when he's cheering these people on, it is an indication that it is accomplishing which he that which he wanted to do over the course of the seven parts of his conspiracy. Remember the the seven parts of the of the conspiracy that 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 Liz Cheney laid out in day one was one the big lie, two, the plan to replace the attorney general, three, the pressure campaign on Pence, four, the pressure campaign on state elected officials, five, the false electors scheme, and six, the summoning and assembling of and directing the the, the mob. So I think that what we're going to try to do is wrap up on Thursday to say, we've established that Trump did all of those other things, had knowledge of all those other things, is therefore potentially indictable for the conspiracy to do all of these things. And you, American public, should never reelect a man who's been so derelict in in his constitutional obligations. That's what uh, I think they're going to try to get at.
0: I'll agree with that, and I'll I'll say that um, as to his enjoyment. And uh, John, you and I both know this individual very well. I put a lot of stock in what Judd Deere testified to, and and Judd was one of the few people in the uh, <clears throat> White House in uh, Trump's. In fact, I think he was the only one in Trump's communication staff that was universally respected uh, by members of the press because he did tell you the truth. He did try to do the right thing. He was he never lied to me um, and he was very uh, professional in his demeanor. But when he said that Donald Trump, you know, opened up that door and listened to the crowd out of the Oval cheering his name, that, you know, that to me was was for me, a nail in the coffin. And I'll just close before we go to break with what I said in my column. And I said, I think Donald Trump led, encouraged and planned that insurrection. I think he loved watching it. I think it was his magnum opus, his final aria, his version of Ode to Joy. I, I think that it was theater for Trump as his whole life has been. And I think that he he put that thing together as, as, as theater. And I, I think the January 6th committee has been pretty remarkable in what they've done. Uh, They've learned a thing or two about media presentation and they've put together, I've jokingly referred to it as, as a, as a TV show, uh, you know, an eight part series, but they have put together complete with, Hey, here's, what's coming next week. Here's the exciting things. Here's what's what we, and then they, they tell you what they're going to tell you. They tell you what they're going to tell you. And then at the end, they tell you what they just told you. So it's drilling it in. Uh, I think it's been important in today's day and age to to make the message available that, you, like you said, Michael, you don't want this guy back as, as the chief law enforcement officer or the chief officer of the United States because he can't do it. I, I think it, at the end of the day, if nothing, it was Norm Eisen who said there were three possible outcomes to these hearings. The best possible outcome led to indictments. Uh, the second possible best possible outcome was merely leading to people uh, not wanting to support Donald Trump and and tilting it towards the Democrats or at least towards Republicans with some common sense. And then the third possible outcome was it made no difference at all. I think these hearings will at least reach the second plateau and may well reach the first. And so we'll have to wait and see. Look, when we come back, we're going to take a short break. And when we do come back, we're going to uh, talk a little bit about the other things that went on in, in D.C. this week besides Donald Trump. So stick around, and uh, we will be right back. Hey, Just Ask the Question podcast listeners. If you've got a second, head on over to Twitter and follow our official page, J-A-T-Q Podcast. That's J-A-T-Q podcast. Again, that's at J-A-T-Q podcast. Hi, we're back. It's Just asked the Question. I am your host, Brian Carum. And with us today, our, our weekly wrap-up of what went on in Washington, D.C. We have uh, John Bennett from uh, Road Call CQ, CQ Roll Call, uh, <laughs> and Michael Zeldin, former federal prosecutor. And often seen on a common, common well, you, you're not, I, 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 I said that last week, I won't misstep. But we often see Michael on uh, TV these days on uh, several different shows, just not with one in particular. So we'll start out with the other thing that happened this week, guys, and uh, I want to talk about is the foreign travel uh, that uh, Biden uh, made uh, to uh, the Middle East. And I'll start out with uh, Israel. He started in Israel went to uh, Saudi Arabia and met with other members of the Middle East. And we know that this is not just about begging for oil. It's about an overall strategy against Russia. Um, and and John, what do you think of, of his trip this week? Do you think he had any success in it or do you think it was a flailing at the wind?
1: There were some successes. You know, they, they got some agreements uh, with the Saudis, uh, some business agreements that Uh, at least on paper, look like they'll be good for U.S. companies and, you know, maybe for U.S. workers. um, Those things have a way of benefiting uh, the giant corporation uh, more than more (laughs) than the the workers. But that's a that's a different podcast. Um, You know, the the Israeli visit, I thought, was 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 fairly straightforward, fairly general standard fare for a U.S. president. Uh, Now, the Saudi stop was about you know meeting with the Saudis, trying to as as Biden said, kind of reset and reframe the relationship, and it has been strained. Um, and then of course the Gulf Cooperation Council meeting uh, on Saturday was was in Saudi Arabia this time. I um you know I I wrote this that, that and I said this here last week that I think Biden had to do the Saudi stop. Um I, I just I just looking at the world realistically. To counter Russia, to counter Iran, and yes, to maybe start doing more on uh, getting gas prices down and, and energy prices in general, you can't ignore the Saudis. You can't pretend that they're not a major player in all of that. So he had to go, but I don't think it went very well. Um, I, I like think that I think the Crown Prince uh, MBS uh, played Biden. I think he played the U.S. media. Um, this guy is is you know ding, ding, ding. you know he he. Yes, he, he 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 looks like he was behind the murder of. Washington He, he was, yeah, Jamal uh, Khashoggi, but but MBS he's, he is good at what he does, and and he pulled it off again. I thought it was a this the Biden the Biden uh, Friday uh, activities and meetings with the Saudis and photo ops um, with MBS front and center the whole time uh, was just a huge win for MBS and the Saudis. Uh, I, I, I,
0: I, alone.
1: <laughs> I think I think the American people and the press corps should have a big bone to pick with the president and his staff because they told us and the people by extension, the American people that, you know, he oh, he's not going to meet with MBS and they're not going to have a lot of one on one interaction. And MBS is going to be in the room because he's also the defense, sec- the defense minister. Um, and then NBS. MBS. Is guiding Biden through the palace. He's escorting Biden into all the meetings. The meeting with the king. The the then then they had a separate meeting that MBS led uh, for the Saudi side, and and he was beside Biden the whole time. They were chit chatting. They were chummy, and you know that is not number one. That's not what Biden said the trip was was going to be. Yes. And number two, uh, candidate Biden said he would never lie to the American people and he he broke, he, broke, he broke two campaign pledges in Saudi Arabia
0: and he said that he would treat Saudi Arabia as a pariah right. and that he was Yeah, suspend, that's the second. Right. Yeah, and then he would suspend MBS's phone privileges. He wouldn't allow him to be around when when he was talking to the king and he clearly lied about both of them. That's my question coming this week in the briefing room is did not the uh, American president he said he would never lie to us. Did he not lie to us when he said he would hold Uh, Saudi Arabia accountable for what they did. But I will say even more so with the Jamal Khashoggi thing, the thing that bothers me most about that is, look, let's just be honest. It has become much less safe for reporters around the world due to that action. And our inaction in regards to his being murdered and dismembered and, of course, incinerated. He was, you know, that's a great, documentary that you need to see on Khashoggi, but what that tells you, the United States of America is not going to come to the defense of any reporter in the United States, anywhere else outside of the world. And if uh, things were different here, that that, um, they won't come to our defense here either. It's made it increasingly precarious to be a foreign correspondent anywhere in the world because of the actions of MPS and the lack of action of the United States. And so, Michael, to you, I will ask, I don't think there's a legal action that can be taken against anyone in this regard. But the spirit of what the United States is for in a free speech in the First Amendment carried internationally, it's just it doesn't It seem to be against the ideals enshrined in our Constitution.
2: Well, on my podcast, I interviewed this guy who wrote a book called Free the Press. <laughs> Who's that guy? <laughs> Brian Carum, I think is, is the name. And ah. if, I remember, if I remember that conversation between us, seriously speaking, Brian, on, on our yeah. podcast, on my podcast, it's a great episode. And we talked about how um, fr- uh, reporters are in greater jeopardy now than they've been in Perhaps ever, or at least in, in a long time, and that on the scale of freedom of the press, the United States is declining. We are we are not anywhere near the top of protecting our um, uh, our free press and 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 the and the journalists that constitute it. And so, are you asking, or should any of us be surprised by this? No, because it's been ongoing for a long time, should we all be disappointed? We should be horrified at what's going on because it is the, as you say, it is the, is the bedrock of our constitutional uh, democracy, freedom of, of, the, of the press. But political exigencies sometimes yeah. take priority over um, constitutional principles. And it's not just Biden and it's certainly not just Trump But we've seen this, you know, over and over and over. Um, In the end, our economic system is um, the most important thing for politicians to protect who want to be reelected, and and they will always sacrifice principle for their their own economic well-being or the what they consider to be the economic well-being of 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 the country.
0: Well, and doesn't that just? Isn't that just? fine and dandy that, that, but I, I, uh, it it angers me uh, seriously, but, um, John, you know, one thing that you mentioned was how the press handled it when we were there. And, um, I, I think we asked the question, we did ask the question about MBS, but we didn't, I don't think we put it directly to the president. And I, I thought that we, we didn't cover the BS that came out of MBS. We got played as well as 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 uh, Biden did. You?
1: Yep, yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, I, I this this became a very, to me, uh, confusing at times. Um, I don't want to call it a, a debate. I guess it was a narrative about fist bumping versus handshaking. Throw in something about a COVID variant and and something else about. I don't I don't I'm not I'm not even sure there was about, you know, 12 to 18 hours there in the coverage that I couldn't tell if if the press was upset about handshaking versus fist bumping because COVID cases are on the rise and they are on the rise. And Biden's 79 year old man who's, who's had some health problems um, or if we were upset about fist bumping versus handshaking. Because, you know, a fist bump to me is a little more intimate. I would fist bump you, Brian, or, or right. another one of my friends. I would shake my boss's hand or my boss's boss or a senator. You know, I would shake their hand. So I, I couldn't tell exactly why we were so obsessed with that. And then it actually happened. Um, so we got to put it in some some more context. But I, I really think that was um, – or the, the the third option for fist bump versus handshake is – I suspect those stories did very well online. It's 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 more digestible than a a policy story about, you know, MBS just got all of this stuff from Biden and didn't have to give up much of anything. And he looked like a powerful leader again on the world stage. You know, that's a hard story to 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 put on social media and have it have it blow up. But if if you write something that's a little more sugary, like fist bumping, um, usually the clicks go like this
2: well yeah it's interesting brian i i didn't i didn't follow this closely because it was of no (laughs) consequence to me to me (laughs) in my my professional life um i'm not that's not to denigrate anything you guys are saying but i always thought too that there was a a subtext here of biden shook hands with israelis and the question is whether or not the saudis would shake hands with the hand that shook hands with israelis and that there was a there was a there was an aspect to to that um, as well.
0: Yeah, that's that's a that, that, well, worthy of mentioning exactly. Did they did would they shake hands with a guy who shook hands with the Israelis and, and how does that fit into Middle Eastern policy? But you know, I, I looked at it it on the campaign trail, Biden said I will make them a pariah. And there will be there will be consequences for the actions. And instead, upon his very first meeting with the Saudis, while Biden says the Americans are on stage, we're not going anywhere. Clearly, it seemed to me that we were subjugating ourselves in a in almost a position of fealty to uh, the Saudi Arabians by not holding him accountable, by allowing him to take center stage. And as you said, John, by the fact that he did, you know, he led him on a tour. He fist bumped him. He walked him through it's we may be on the stage, but I don't think there's anyone that can mistake who's in charge of that at this point in time, who's in charge of that relationship. And clearly it's not the United States. Am I wrong?
1: I see no evidence that you're wrong. I, I, <laughs> I think it was, a, you know, I, again, uh I just think MB- MBS knew exactly what he was going to do. And I'm sure he insisted on uh, being in the room and, and having the second meeting without his father, the king there. And um, he wanted every photo op and, you know, they have state media. So, you know, put the camera there and, and that's where the camera's going to be. And, uh, you know, the U.S. pool was kept, you know, at, at more of an arm's length for, for reason. And, and that's because the MBS didn't want to be asked, you know, didn't want Uh, didn't want somebody shouting, why did you kill Jamal Khashoggi? Yeah, right. You know, and and it wasn't a red carpet like in Israel for Biden. It was it was a lavender carpet. I don't know if that's a a cultural thing, but, um, you know, there was some chatter that that was that was a dig at, at Biden. So, you know, they 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 clearly wanted to bring Biden down a notch. And I think they pulled it off.
2: Yeah, Michael. Well, with no pun intended, uh, they they have him over a barrel. And um, <laughs> well done. And, and that's the and that's the problem with making um, campaign promises that, um, that you in, can't keep. In, in, in this very gray world in which we live, um these black and white promises always seem to come back to to bite uh, politicians. Red, you know, lines in the sand and all these things. the The, the circumstances of the world, don't lend themselves to absolutes, and why politicians feel compelled to make these sort of absolute statements when they have to know um, that they're not necessarily going to be able to keep them because of the circumstances of, the, of, of, a, of a very complex world we live in always, um, you know, sort of astonishes me.
0: Well, and, and it assumes. I think it assumes the worst of America. I think it plays to the worst in, in America culture. It plays to the lowest common denominator, and it, it's and it's disingenuous. So we, we we end the week on that note. Uh, what, what what would you like to? What do you think is going to be of import this coming week, Michael? I'll start with you. What do you think we should be looking at?
2: Well, obviously, all eyes are on the last. Uh, or the eighth hearing of January 6th committee and see how they sort of tie up the, the, the case they've made to the American people. They had a very good primetime opening day, which was essentially their opening statement. And now in some sense, we're going to get their closing statement. He did all of these things, which we told you about on day one. And then when the plan came to be, when this well-executed plan came to be, he stood by and cheered. He cheered as Americans were being assaulted by white supremacists that he brought to the Capitol. I mean, that's the, the closing argument. It's not to say this is a crime or this should be referred to as a crime. It's a, a question of moral bankruptcy. And if they can make that, that this is a morally bankrupt person who does not qualify to be the leader of, of anything, then I think they'll have succeeded in their political um, uh, aspirations. And then we have to see if there, whether there are any law changes that they can enact uh, to give some protection against this happening again. Well, we'll
0: John, to you, what do you, how do you think, what are we looking for this week? Yeah,
1: yeah that's clearly the main event uh, Thursday night. Uh, I But I also I want to see, number one, how they uh, the White House answers your question, Brian, about uh, Biden and and MBS. Uh, I think um, how that shakes out this week is uh, is is number two uh, of number two importance. And and just can this White House get any traction going? Uh, They've got a chance this week to on uh, on the Senate floor uh, pass a slimmed down version of a, a bill that was intended to. Um, make the U.S. more competitive with China and, and technology in a number of different areas. They've stripped out some the, the semiconductor language um, and they're trying to pass a bill to help U.S uh, semiconductor manufacturers. That's a huge issue. So they can grab they can grab a quick win this week, then maybe come back before August recess, uh, do prescription drugs, Medicare, uh, negotiating with, uh, with, with drug makers. They can pass that maybe in the next few weeks, and they've got two wins, uh, two pretty quick wins. They're incremental. It's not what the progressives want necessarily, but it's a 50-50 Senate. It is what it is. But can the Democrats, and I tweeted this out, can the Democrats, though, can they take yes for an answer? Can they take incremental progress in their eyes, incremental victories, or, or will they once again wrestle defeat from the jaws of incremental victory? And remember, the founders set up the system for incremental yes. incremental steps. They weren't part of
0: the, so art, to, the art of half a loaf.
1: Right. Not these. Right. Exactly. So can can the Democrats get some wins here in the next few weeks? We'll get the first uh, bite of that uh, this week if the Senate can can move that semiconductor bill.
0: Well, and I will say I'll, I'll, I'll add that, uh, Michael, I think you're right. And, and, and John, I think you're right on both those counts. I'll add this to both of those. I think that we're going to find out this week in in the uh, eighth episode of the hearings whether or not um, I think there will be a, a path to what happens in the midterms. I think that will help set a path to what happens in the midterms. And to your point, John, I will say that the bigger question coming out of the Biden administration, if they get those two small incremental victories, will they piss them away by not promoting them the way they did the infrastructure bill and everything else? Positive that this administration has done. It's buried it. It has it, its messaging is off. I think the press is off and covering it. I think we're still so very damn happy that Donald Trump is out of office that we can't look at uh, Biden. Uh, we can't look at him equitably. We can't look at him seriously. We can't look at him the way we should look at him because there are too many reporters that are sitting there looking, going, Well, gosh, it's better than having Donald Trump. And that's such a low bar to crawl over. That we should at least aspire to a little bit more. So that, with with that said, you know, last week I, I and I hope you two can hear this. Last week we talked about the Yankees going away, but Michael, uh, this is one thing we should take going away that I wish we talked about more often.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, Abraham, give me a son.
0: <laughs> Putting me on. all right for those of you who don't know that is you'll have to look that up but that's that's the way we ended out there on highway 61 revisited thank you bob dylan and thank you michael zeldin and thank you uh, john bennett we'll catch you guys next week it's just ask the question i am your host brian karam we'll see you next time thanks
2: In this modern age of
1: misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth, with Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not found anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash J-A-T-Q
0: podcast.